Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training, A Constructional Guide to Becoming Your Horse's Best Friend, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of a conversation about my new book, Modern Horse Training. In a previous conversation that we had about the book, Dominique started us at the end of the book because she wanted to talk about writing. And now, in this conversation, we're back at the beginning of the book. Dominique picked out three elements that stood out for her that contribute to what is meant by modern horse training. In part one, we talked about constructional training and what that means and the clarity that it brings to training. A second element is, of course, loopy training. In part two, we talked about what it means to flip the funnel. Another element that stood out for Dominique was the inclusion of extinction in the discussions of the four quadrants of operant conditioning. That brought us to, it is okay for our horses to say no. And that's where we're going to pick up as we continue on. But what I would add, as we think about these three elements, is that what these add up to is a fourth major piece, and that's how accessible this work is. And that's really what we're going to be talking about in this episode. It is a given in our culture that, yes, of course, our horses can say no. And they're not going to be punished for it. That that is important information. It is part of the relationship. It is very much part of modern horse training. Mm -hmm. But it is not necessarily something that is part of the general horse training. Well, you know, it's like, how do you educate your kid? You know, so... You know, do you let a child, a a little baby cry for a long time or not? You know, there's a point where you have to decide. You know, it's funny because the other day there was someone, it's the second time I've heard this little girl, she's not even two yet, and she was in her daycare. She was put in the corner two times already. And I thought, So one time was about a muffin. She wanted to have more muffins. And so there was she she there was a big, I guess she 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 went into a tantrum because she didn't get more muffin. And so she was put in the corner. I kept thinking about Susan Friedman, you know, I I kept thinking about why are these educators not putting their time in teaching her how to how to become story that Susan tells where she took her daughters to I think it was a grocery store it was some kind of store Mm. where and the daughter wanted she wanted what was on the shelf as they were going past and she had a meltdown and Mm. Susan's response was oh I haven't taught you how to handle this situation yeah so during the week they down in their play playroom 
they had practice sessions where mm -hmm. they practiced shopping and going and seeing various things, you know, that they set up in their playroom and being able to walk by things that. Yeah, you know, and increasing the delay to yes. whatever reinforcement yes. you want, because that yes. has to be taught yep. and rewarded, yep. right? You reward the capacity to wait for something that you want. Yeah. And so, so the next time but, they went shopping, her daughter was able to handle herself and without the frustration that she had been exhibiting before. And it, but the brilliance was to say, oh, you don't have the skill yet. It's not in That's right. And the problem very often with this is that the point for me is that when I contest putting the little girl in the corner, it's not that I want to teach her to have crisis every time she doesn't have, to have a meltdown every time she doesn't get what she wants. That's not the kind of chaos that I want to, to instill in the classroom. Right. No, it's that I need to teach her how to handle herself when she is not getting that second muffin. Yes. And, but, and, and, and the second and muffin to... may represent something else entirely because it may represent where she's not getting the attention. You know, there may be some, yeah, some yeah, that other too. element involved here that needs to be explored. Identified. Yeah, yeah. Way. But the idea is that just very often the argument people will give is, well, then it'll be chaos. The, they call it in French, l'enfant roi, the king child. I don't know if there's an equivalent in English where the, the children are becoming like uh, dictators almost in yeah. the family. So that's not what we are talking about here. We're talking about always building the skills for, and concentrating on behaviors we want the subject to do. Yes. Instead of suppressing the, the behavior. And that's also the constructional approach. Yes. To focus on what we want to do. Yeah. And and for sure, you know, concentrating on what we want the learner to do is something that I read 15 years ago. It was already there for sure. I yes. mean, that's, you know, a lot of the positive reinforcement was based on that. It's just that, like we said before, it for me, 15 years ago, if you asked me what I did, I would have said, what I do is I use positive reinforcement. And I would probably have added the marker in there, you know, that yep. gave me precision, etc. Now there's a lot more to say. Yes, yes, definitely. It's not. Definitely. And, you know, even saying I do positive reinforcement training, mm, there's, you know, you always wonder is this animal in good hands? Yeah, yeah. You know, is this animal having a good experience? What actually, exactly. Just because you're using positive reinforcement does not mean that your learner is having and, a positive and learning to, experience. You have to start somewhere, right? I mean, right. in the beginning, that's a hell of a good start, you know, to decide that you're not going to use punishment or negative reinforcement as a general way of teaching right. that you want to motivate your animal with positive reinforcement. It's a great start. It's just that you have to read the 400-page book <laughs> to see that there are a few well, nuances you know, to add there. Culturally, 
what many of us have not had well modeled is this idea of breaking complex goals, complex behavior down into smaller components mm -hmm. and building the repertoire. We have not had that well taught to us mm. and unwell modeled. So when we say, all right, you don't want your horse stepping on your toes and pushing into your space. What is it that you would like your horse to do? People struggle with that. You know, they struggle with being able to say, what is it that I want my learner to do? And then, you know, that core training principle of you can't ask for something and expect to get it on a consistent basis unless you've gone through a teaching process to teach it to your learner. And that awkward sentence came from John Lyons. I say it's an awkward sentence because it's a long sentence, but every word in it is important. He's mm -hmm. not a positive reinforcement trainer. But the brilliance of that sentence is that if you would like your horse to stand still next to you, when you ask him to stand still next to you and to walk forward with you when you ask him to walk forward and to transition into a trot and then to go back to a walk and to go back to standing still when you ask. You have to go through a teaching process to teach that. And there are lots of different ways that you could teach it. You know, you could teach it very brutally. You could teach it with great kindness. We're choosing to teach it with great kindness. We're choosing to teach it in a way that's very horse friendly. But when you start to say, well, what is it that you would like your learner to do, your horse, your dog, whatever your learner is? A lot of people really struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they may be able to say, well, I want to be able to ride. Well, what's keeping you from riding? Well, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. Well, what do you want to work on? What, what do you want to work on now that will get you closer to your goals? Oh, uh, I'm not, why, why don't you tell me? Mm. You know, and so this is really a process of learning how to identify mm. those elements. What is it that is keeping you from riding? Maybe it's just out and out fear. Because when you think about riding, you think about all those different reasons why oh, I guess I'm, I really can't go to the barn today. Mm. <laughs> but why is that fear there? Because there are component skills. Yeah. yeah. So when you start to identify, you start to say, well, maybe thinking about riding, that's too much. It's too big. It's mm -hmm. too scary. Mm -hmm. But could I think about teaching my horse to stand quietly in the barn aisle while I groom him? And what would he need to understand in order for that lesson to be successful? And you just keep peeling it back and peeling it back till you come to these, these core skills of what do I really need to teach? And what you find is that those core skills are elements that are that you're going to use over and over and over and over again so when you teach them well in one context 
they become readily available to you in other contexts and the efficiency of the training just accelerates. So the very first thing you teach may take a little while because you've got skills you have to learn. Your horse has skills you have to learn. But then the next thing you teach takes less time. And the next thing you teach takes even less time. So it's just a really fun process because you start thinking about, well, what's going to keep you that fourth question? What keeps you motivated? Progress, success, Mm -hmm. change, seeing things work, being able to do more with your horse, being able to, to get closer to those goals where you're not trying to come up with excuses to not do the thing that mm-hmm. you really would love to be able to do, but you're, you're on the path and you're being successful. And that's really what this work is about. And it's, it's just, did, when you ordered the book from Amazon, did you read some of the reviews people? Yeah, there were, there. I'm going to add one later. I'm, you know, once I receive, yeah. I want to receive the book. I already know what I want to say, but I didn't want to write the review before I bought the book. <laughs> Because sometimes they say verified buyer. And although I've already read it, I thought I'm just going to wait a couple of days and put something. Yeah, I saw a very good one from Anita Schnee. Yes. yes. Yeah, she wrote a very nice one. But they're very, very good. People have said some just really astounding things about Mm. this work. Mm. And um, they, they they are well worth reading. And it speaks to how accessible this approach to training is and I think that's that's one of the things that I so so appreciate about it because it does make a difference for horses you know that horses that where we would typically call them difficult and challenging and where training becomes just a hard awful slog it, it just changes all of that and that's exciting Yeah, you know, I remember once hearing about a trainer, good, good trainer with a horse that was considered difficult and that every night when she came home from work after training eight hours, she cried. Yeah. Because it was so hard for her to do what she was told to do. I wouldn't stick around very long if that were the kind of experience I had with my horse that I I did things to my horse that made me cry at night. Bye-bye. I remember giving a clinic, and this was early on. It was I was giving a clinic down in Texas, and we were working the horses in an arena. And this big, broad, massive quarter horse mare was in the arena, and her person was really struggling. So I took this horse, and she, you know, every time I think of her, she just gets broader. Mm-hmm. But she was, you know, the quarter horses can be really massive. And she had the, that very broad, low to the ground kind of build. And she knew how to tank through handlers. And I did not want her dragging me back to the barn aisle. Mm-hmm. So which she we, could have easily done. Which she could easily have done. Mm-hmm. So this relates to your you know, the grass story that you were, mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's all related. I mean, they can pull you on 20 feet, like, oh, just like that. This mayor was, I mean, it was such a struggle keeping her organized and in the arena 
and getting her to the point where I could take her safely back into the barn aisle. And you know, the instruction is usually don't let go of the rope. Yes. Well, you, you can be pulled and pulled and pulled. Right. Don't let go of that rope. <laughs> I that, remember that mayor probably went through yes, a lot of that with a you. A lot Ms. of that. <laughs> well, I remember thinking, if this is going to be what my weekends are about, <laughs> is wrestling with people's mm. horses. I don't, this is not what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And what I recognized as I was working her is the reason that it was so difficult to handle her out in the arena was because she was missing the core foundation skills, the mm. core lessons. We had not, with her, taken the time to work her in the stall and to teach her how to back up and to back through corners because I could not out in that arena, I couldn't access backing in the square with her. If I had been able to access backing in the square, I would have had absolutely no problem handling her in the arena. She would have had the necessary component skills. But because I didn't have that, it wasn't in repertoire. Mm. It wasn't a pattern she recognized. It wasn't a pattern that, that was in place. It was a struggle. Mm. And I just, I said to myself, I'm not doing that again. You know, that we're going to teach the necessary repertoire so that don't have to have these wrestling matches. Now, we, we always succeed, you know, certainly with clinic courses, it's always a struggle, especially if they are coming unglued at a clinic because they're away from home. Mm. There's always this, this struggle of, can we build the component pieces, the, the necessary mm. repertoire that will help them to be successful? But that's especially in the clinics where the horse is new to the whole clinic process. We're often working in small paddocks, in stalls, teaching these component skills so that when you go out into a larger space, you have the necessary skills to be successful. I remember another story, and this again was years ago. This was early on in my exploration of clicker training. I was visiting with a natural horsemanship clinician, very well-known clinician. And she was going to be riding a borrowed horse over the weekend. A what? A borrowed, somebody else. Oh, a borrowed horse. A yes. borrowed horse mm -hmm. over the weekend. So she wanted to work the horse a little bit before she rode him the following day. The horse was turned out with another horse. I've forgotten why I was visiting there, but I watched her separate the two horses, drive the other horse away, drive them back out into the field, but keep the horse that she wanted with her. And then she worked the horse in the way that was her training. And it was very skillful, very effective, but it was not what I would have done with the horse. So later we were sitting looking out over 30-acre field, big hay field. And she said to me, so suppose somebody pulled up with a horse trailer and unloaded that horse out into that field. And she pointed out over this 
huge area. And she said, so what, what would you as a clicker trainer, what would you have done with that horse? Now this was early days in my clicker training experience. I didn't yet have the, the repertoire that I have now <laughs> to handle that question. And so I gave a sort of a lame, I'm not, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I don't know what I would do kind of answer. It wasn't quite that lame, but it was fairly lame. But what I thought about afterwards was as a clicker trainer, I would not put myself in that situation. Or if I found myself in that situation, because <clears throat> you know, maybe we were, we had, we're dealing with horses that were being evacuated because of fire or something, and you, you're in that situation. I would want to get that horse as quickly as I could into an environment where we could both work safely. And, I, and that would not be in an open 30-acre field mm. with a horse I didn't know who had no repertoire. Because mm -hmm. out in that 30-acre field, I basically would have to do what she was doing with the, the horse. I would have to use that kind of skill set to say to the horse, you can't leave. You have to stay here. You can't run me over. You can't bolt to the left. You can't bolt to the right. I will block all of that. You have to stay here with me and, and mind your P's and Q's. You know, I don't know, Alex, because, you know, I had horses at the farm in really, really big paddocks. And some of them, they wouldn't let the grooms catch them. Right. And they would always fetch me for those cases because I and I would always be able to catch them. Because, and I never, never, ever chased them. Right. You know, I gave them distance. I rewarded every time they oriented to me, just what we do. You know, yeah. it's just that it's a bigger field, but it still worked. I mean, I would, I would approach and when they stopped running away, I would stop. When they oriented to me, I would back up a little bit because yeah. at that point I was too far away to give any food. It was funny, though, because I remember there's a point where I thought, okay, someone else has to do this. They can't come and fetch me every time because there might be a time when I'm not here and the horse needs to go in. And I tried to share this with one of the groom and he couldn't do it. For some reason, it didn't work. Maybe today I would know why. But at the time, I thought, why is this what he's, he's doing? Because I was instructing him, you know, I was like on the side and I would say, OK, now back up and do this. And, and I thought, well, is there something in his heart <laughs> that is different from me? But it must have been something else that I couldn't see at the time. But I, I was surprised at that, that, you know, I thought, why isn't it working? And yeah. I thought maybe there's a difference in the intention that conveys something different somehow. But anyway, so yeah, I think you could probably, I'm, even well, yes, acres, yes. unless the horse is completely like so over, over threshold, like he's well, running what, around right, in a sweat. Right, that's what they're just, you know, you, you've got a horse on a 
trailer, you've unloaded the horse, and you've often when and you he's going horse, crazy. Right, they are they are not. Oh, oh, hum. Here I am, new environment. No, no but there's no. a point where he's going to stop. You know, he's going to want to 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 drink or. I mean, there will be little right. windows. But the, the point of that is that mm -hmm. I would not want to put myself into mm -hmm. the position where he can I run had you to over. Have, where I had to have that kind of conversation. If I had to mm -hmm. have that kind of conversation, then I would say, let me change the environment mm -hmm. so that we can be successful together. And maybe mm -hmm. it is a 30 acre field. Where yeah, I, but you would have protective contact. Yeah, right. you would or, be outside the paddock. And it wouldn't be an unfenced open hayfield mm -hmm. where he could just truly leave, you know, when we had zero relationship and and roads, busy roads beyond the hayfield. So, you know, it's where can I have that conversation so that it remains safe and where I can build the necessary repertoire so hmm. that when we are out in that 30 acre field with no fence we are we're there as companions and partners and not there in a confrontational relationship yeah. well the building the repertoire also builds the trust yes yeah. and it it very much does and it sets the tone for the whole relationship mm. So circling back to what you started with, uh, what this idea of really beginning by putting the spotlight on what it, what constructional training means, and and really the simplicity of it—it's not a complex idea. The simplicity of it, but what it means, and where it sits that it's what we're going to encounter first or the first concept and then we're going to look inside of that and inside of that we're going to find all these other amazing concepts mm -hmm. movie training movement cycles the use of positive reinforcement the use of marker signals mm -hmm. um, because you can use positive reinforcement but not add the clarity yeah. of a marker signal. That's true. So, so you know the the addition of the marker signal, all of these layers that unfold from that, I think, really adds to the strength of this training. And it was worth creating another book because that clarity, I think, is going to be really useful for people, mm. and it drives home this idea, you know, that. It's modern horse training encompasses all of these ideas. Now, and the more that the more that it begins to unfold within it, all of these just really wonderful learner-centric, learner-friendly, handler-friendly concepts, then I think we're going to see just some just incredible training emerging from this. It's just going to make us smile when you see what people do with this. People well, for sure, you know, I think instead of coming home and crying about the training we've done, I know that when, you know, this week I came home and I kept thinking about my afternoon in the training yes. and it made me smile. You know, it yes. was a great afternoon. Yes. 
Yes. It was the highlight of my week. Yeah. And that we can celebrate the little things that we're able to do with our mm-hmm. horses. We can celebrate the big things that we're able to do. And they're all worth celebrating. And they all just make you smile and make you feel as though you're up in the stratosphere because it's just so much fun, which is what it's all about is, is to have a really great relationship with our horses. And, and, and one that is as enriching for the horses as it is for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think on that note, we should draw our, our conversation for the afternoon to a close. I'm just delighted. I'm delighted that you have been enjoying the book. And I'm, thank you for sharing your impressions of it because it's, it's I think, both very reinforcing for me, but also I think it's produced some useful insights for everyone listening. So again, people can can get the book. They can get it through my website, theclickercenter.com. But I have been encouraging people to go to Amazon so that we get the algorithms really paying attention and noticing the book. And that just makes it easier for people who aren't necessarily specifically looking for clicker training it just helps them to find the book so go to amazon and and order it and and enjoy normally the music would play at this point and the episode would be over except for any news that i want to share but in this case we kept talking and i thought that this last bit what we said after we thought that the podcast was over really needed to be shared so keep listening We're not at the end of the podcast yet. There's a little something and I didn't want to, I think we, we had a good, we had a good content for this one. And this was just going to be like a little parenthesis, but there was something in the book that I'd like to talk about. It's, It's short in the books, but it's about cues and training by priorities where you have two cues, like let's say grown-ups and ears forward, yeah. and you train by priority and the horse, so the horse knows which one is dominant. I hadn't heard you talk about this. Training by priority has been, if you go look at the lesson number one DVD. It's oh my God, it's just me. It didn't. No, and I think this, maybe we'll add this as a little parenthesis. This work is... It is so layered, and and I've known this about this work since the very beginning. It is, it is very, very layered because we're looking at components and we're looking at the underlying skills that in order to really understand, for example, to really understand, oh, we're working on a release means that, you know, that I talk about that in the writing sections. You have to have put some things in repertoire for those words to really come alive and have meaning for mm-hmm. you. And until you have peeled enough of this, you know, onion layers to reach that point where you go, oh, that's what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to register. I know. So, so I've had people who have come to clinics and so they will read say the writing book, and they will have read through it and they will underline a lot of things in yellow. 
-hmm. And then they'll read it again and they'll underline in pink the new <laughs> yeah. thing. And then they'll underline and pretty soon the whole book is underlined. I know. But they will say to me, I could have sworn that you never talked about that. But right. when I went back, how did you download new copy into my hardcover book? I know. And it's, yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's so true. And so, you know, a lot of Because I, for me, when I read that, I was like, she never talks about that. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of things that I have absolutely, I have talked about. I have done DVDs on. But, right. But there's so much material. That, yeah, that and it the depends on that the, you can remember. Yeah, and the reader, the reader is evolving too. Yes. You know, maybe some of this, you know, maybe I wasn't ready for, let's yeah. say, the smaller end of the funnel Absolutely. seven years ago. That that's right. And, it, mm. and if you if you read that seven years ago, you might have said, well, that's what I'm doing, or that doesn't make any sense. Or right. You no, know, that that it wouldn't have it wouldn't have registered with you in the way that it is registering with you now. And that's why, you know, I keep encouraging people yeah. to go, you know, go look at the work again, go, go back to the beginning chapters, go back to the early DVDs and the clinics. It's start with the first clinic lesson because there will be things that you've forgotten about yeah. or that, didn't make sense the first time through or it's just that there's or another word differently. yeah you explain it differently yeah. I'm at a different place there's a word all of a sudden you know like for me this time the the funnel because I had read this in your blog I had heard you talk about yep. it but somehow there was something about the variation accepting too many variations of of a behavior or there was something in that wording that just made it even more yeah that really resonated with yeah and yeah. you because I've read this and I always thought it was good a good illustration but somehow this time these few words and just like accepting all the behaviors he's yeah. offering like and also the context in which an idea is seeded makes makes a difference. So when you encountered the funnel image before, it would have been in a somewhat different context. But now it's surrounded by all this other material within the book. And so you may hear it very differently mm. than the way in which you originally heard it. You know, mm -hmm. there are there are all these factors involved. Yes, there is a lot that has changed. There's a lot that's evolved. There's a lot that I've learned how to teach better. Absolutely. I hope so. I would hate to think that I've been at this for 30 years and I haven't gotten any better at it. That would be pretty pathetic. But sitting at the core of this, when I started writing about like the first book, Clicker Training for Your Horse, when I sent the manuscript off to Karen Pryor, it was a 500-page manuscript. Mm. It contained everything. And then we split that book up. And and there are some parts of it that, that I never did publish just because other things gotten. You know, I like that it's all in the same one. For me, that's a big strength of yes, this book. But 
point is that the understanding, the core understanding was there, that you're building out of these really simple building blocks, that mm -hmm. if you can teach a horse to go forward, if you can teach a horse to rock back, you can teach a horse to move his hips over. And if you can teach him to move his hips over, that gives you access to his shoulders and you can teach him to move his shoulders over. And if you can teach those four elements, you can teach everything that you want in terms of performance. So really mm -hmm. all you need, to, it's computers again, you know, the, where the computer language is zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. The horses, it's just the better a horse understands how to go forward when asked and how to back up when asked, the more everything else becomes possible. And the simplicity of that idea is what makes it, in a sense, really difficult. What do you mean? That's all I need to teach. It's mm. forward and back. How, how does that work? But it's, you know, it's this weight redistribution. So again, sitting in the core of everything is balance. Mm. Because really what you're looking at is simple weight redistribution. Your horse is has too much weight, too much energy, too much thought going out the back door. So how could we reverse everything and send it out the front door? And the better you are at being able to shift focus, shift balance forward and back, the more everything else becomes available to you. So we're always looking at component parts and the components were so simple. It was really, let's just teach these two things really, really, really well. And you've got everything else. Look at all the words that I've had to employ mm. to bring, you know, because because that's that's a really difficult concept to understand and to put into practice. So one of the advantages, and it's a huge advantage that I've had, is that I've been giving clinics. So mm. at clinics, I'm meeting new horses, new handlers. Mm. I'm frequently going back to the early lessons and I'm reviewing, I'm going back and I'm looking at basic targeting. I'm looking at backing in the square. I'm looking at head lowering 101. You know, I'm looking at these early, early lessons. I'm constantly revisiting them, but yeah. I'm revisiting them with new horse handler teams. So, and every horse handler team reveals details about this work that are significant. But it means that those component pieces stay very, very fresh for me. Mm. And I'm writing, you know, I'm writing blog articles and I'm doing the podcasts and I'm, you know, I'm constantly revisiting and talking about them. And when I produced the writing book, there was a big gap between when the first book, Clicker Training for Your Horse, came out and when the riding book came out. And the riding book, in a sense, was really sort of the second half of that first book because we, we took most of the riding out of the first book because it was just too much. And so what I recognized in that is that not everybody had been doing what I'd been doing, which was thinking about clicker training basically from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm thinking about. 
I'm on the computer. I'm, I'm answering emails. I'm writing books. I'm writing blog posts. I'm creating DVDs or I'm giving a clinic. I'm teaching lessons. So the work stays very, very fresh for me. And what I recognize is that most other people have a life outside mm. of, you know, that they're, they're doing other things. They're thinking about other things. They've got jobs that don't necessarily involve horses and, and thinking about clicker training and so on. And so, of course, you're not going to keep all of this in your, you know, in the files that are on your desktop. And even now, if you were to say to me, so let's talk about like chapter four of the, in the new book, I would be going, wait a minute, chapter four. I, I don't remember what, what I put in chapter four. Mm-hmm. But if you brought up the ideas that are in chapter four, I would be able to talk about it. But do I remember, you know, okay, those files now are being transferred into the external hard drive of my, that's in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm on to whatever the next project is going to be. But that's just the reality of it. So a lot, there are a lot of these ideas that have been there, they're in repertoire, we've talked about them, but they may not be fresh or on your mental desktop. And that's mm. going to be true for everyone. So mm. the power of this book is that you can go through it and, and have these experiences of, oh, I haven't, I haven't encountered that before. Mm. And for some things that will be true. No, I haven't talked about that in that particular way. But for a lot of it, it's these are, are ideas that have been in repertoire, mm-hmm. but the organization of them is different. Mm. And having it all under one roof, as you say, is really mm. helpful. Mm. And having a format that makes it very easy to go back and forth between mm. the foundation pieces that you know, we have, you know, the basic structure of, with the clicker training is, you know, first you teach the foundation lessons. So you have the, those core foundation skills in place, six foundation lessons. And by teaching them, you, the handler, have learned about different teaching strategies you know, that, that you've become familiar with free shaping and with targeting and you know, you may, you're not yet an expert in them by any means, but you have had some experience with them. And so you have this repertoire in place and you've begun to experiment with teaching, with building out duration. You've begun to experiment with building chains. So you're standing in grown-ups, and at the moment when you would otherwise click and treat, you are presenting the cue for the next behavior, which might be to ask your horse to back up. And so you're building small sequences. So you're learning about these really important concepts by working with very simple behaviors, which makes it more accessible. But then you take those six foundation lessons and you use them to teach the universals. And the universals are those things that it doesn't matter whether you ride English or Western or whether you, you, you don't ride at all, your horse is too young, too old, or you're not interested in riding, whatever it is. But we all need to clean our horse's feet. You know, that's a universal. We need to put halters on. 
you know, mm. all these, these universal skills. So you learn how to use the foundation lessons to make it easier to teach your horse to stand still for grooming or to pick up his feet so you can clean them or to put not just so that you can put a halter on him, but you hold a, hal a halter out and he comes over and puts his own head down into the halter. You know, all of those lovely things. So that sits in the teaching of the universals. And then as you begin to understand more how to use the this constructional training approach in this really creative way to teach all of these, these different skills that you would like your horse to understand, that then you move into the performance aspects. That's that, you know, what are your goals? What do you dream of being able to do? And that's where you, you start looking at all the trick training, the lunging, the lateral work, the classical work in hand, and then taking your horse on into riding. So there is this, this lovely progression from those six core foundation lessons through the universals into whatever performance means to you. If you've got a mini, it's going to mean something very different from, you know, your performance goals may be very different if you have a maxi, you know. So, you know, what you do with a, a 10 hand mini is very different from what you do with a 17 hand, you know, warm blood. So that's the progression. And in all of this, there will be things that you forget until your horse says, oh, I need you to go read that chapter again. Mm -hmm. You know, I need, I'm, we're struggling a little bit here. Go have a cup of tea and read, read the relevant chapter. Or you have a new horse. Or you have a new horse. And That's you right. forgot how you taught him. You taught your other horses. You know, there are yes. things that I taught Woody sometimes. I wonder, I, how did I go about that? Yeah. How do I teach this yeah. again? Yeah. I know it's me. I know I taught it to him because yes. nobody else did, but I don't remember how. Yeah, that's right. And so if, if you did get another horse and you're starting with a horse who's very basic in, in their education level, you know, all of these things that you say, oh, wait a minute, this, I just take for granted mm -hmm. that Woody and, and Bonanza do this, but you don't know it yet. So I have to go back through the, the teaching process and, and remember how I taught these behaviors in the first place. And then, and maybe because of all of all that you've learned, yeah. if you remember how you originally taught Woody, you may say, but actually, mm, I know sure. a better way. Oh, for I'm going sure. to do, do it a little differently mm. this time around. There's enormous simplicity in this work there's enormous complexity in this work and we're basically it's all the same which is the paradox of it and we're always discovering more you know that each time you revisit a concept you're seeing it through a perspective that brings more experience to these concepts and you will You'll be underlining different parts of the book. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's Very the way true. It works. Mm. Yeah. So we'll we'll slot this in somewhere into okay. the discussion. <laughs> I think it's a really important 
piece. You know, it, it's this is not to say that there are not many new things, but often the new things have been there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just I agree. Saying it in slightly different ways. Because you think about all the podcasts we've done. For a lot of things, we're we've we've said all this before. I know, I know. But it still feels fresh and, mm. and it still feels as though it's worth saying again and that we're not just hamster in a wheel mm-hmm. saying, you know, that, yeah. So, and and every now and then we bring in a new piece and say, let's add that into the repertoire and it generates even more ideas. So it's neat. So on, on that note. Yeah, we'll go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So now, this really is the end of this episode. I'll just add my thanks again to all of you who have already ordered Modern Horse Training. You are helping to make it a bestseller. Do please leave a five-star review on Amazon, and do let your friends know about the book. Your support is hugely appreciated. So enjoy the book, train well, and have fun with your horses. Thank you.